Welcome to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with host Lane Nordland. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Cattleman's Call podcast. I'm Lane Nordland. As always, happy to have you joining us here on your podcast devices. And I'm excited about today's conversation. As many of you know, or if this is your first time, we like talking with producers, cattlemen and women, and industry leaders from across the nation about their operations, their backgrounds, their lifestyles, and, and uh, sharing advice to help move the cattle industry forward. And joining us uh, here this afternoon for myself, but it's uh, about 10 in the morning on the big island of Hawaii today for our guest, Doug Beaton, a fifth-generation Hawaiian. Doug, how are things going uh, here today for yourself? It's going really well really well we got um you know good sunny days and um we could use a little more rain but yeah it's, it's a great day in hawaii well as i mentioned i'm broadcasting here from montana when i got up at about 4 30 this morning uh, the temperature was down to about 40 degrees so we, we're definitely starting to feel that uh, that fall weather which you probably aren't going to be feeling that 40 degree mark here uh, here in the first part of september like we are right now but doug I'm, I'm happy to have you on with us here today and as i mentioned you were on the big island uh could you just share a little bit about yourself uh uh, how, how you got to start in the in the livestock sector, in real estate, in scuba diving, in also uh, I'm reading your uh, resume right now, and uh, it seems that that you must have a lot of off time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, I think uh, really it's, it's um, making do with what you can do in Hawaii. You know, um, been here for five generations, my family, and. Um, Grew up, you know, on, on Oahu and, and, uh, and Maui. Um, spent a lot of time out um, on friends' ranches in Haleakala or Uapalikua. Um, and then eventually made my way to the Big Island in the 80s uh, with my wife. And um, we started off with just a small farm, you know, three to six acres. Um, had some cattle, horses. Um, actually grew uh, guavas, which is a, a a fruit for juicing commercially for a couple of years and, and actually a small hog operation as well under that. Um, about 20 years ago, we had the opportunity to buy some um, great ranch land up on the Hamakua coast, which is the north side of the big island. And so we moved up here about 20 years ago and got our little um, ranch started. Um, got about 120 acres feet, simple. And then we lease another 140 sometimes 160, it all depends from uh, neighboring properties around us. Um, so uh, we've been raising Red Angus just about 20 years now up here. And uh, we find that it's a, it's a great um, breed for us. Um, we're a small operation, as you can tell, with the size of our acreage. So for us, we're looking into, you know, providing seed stock to other ranches, um, whether it's bulls or um, great little heifers. Um, we do everything we can to um, improve our our operation, um, and we do a lot of the genetic testing to kind of understand what animals we're we're going to put on the market for people to buy. So, um, and like I said, it's just a family operation. My wife and my two sons and myself. The boys have all grown up. So, as everyone has realized in ranching, you start losing their their help that you relied on <laughs> for so long. Um, but um, that being said, it, it all works out when they come home to visit. So, for our listeners, 
Doug, could you maybe describe the growing season? Obviously, it's a year-round growing cycle for for uh, producers like yourself in in Hawaii and on all the islands. And uh, you know, myself here, we we're lucky enough to get one hay crop put up on dry land, uh, or just being able to to graze cattle uh, through through one rotation out in the pasture. Uh, it's a little different in the southeast uh, mainland here in the U.S. But could, could you paint a picture for our producers listening? Uh, what what maybe your rotations look like what uh, maybe uh, uh, what mowing looks like obviously because I know uh, <laughs> you probably do have to mow some pastures to keep uh, to keep everything looking good and growing well uh, could you just paint what that looks like on on a day-to-day or month-to-month uh, uh, scale for making sure that your operation can run uh, cattle sheep and hogs all, all together yeah yeah so for us our operation sits on the side of Mauna Kea at about the 3,200 foot elevation. So we tend to be a cooler climate up here. Um, predominant grasses are Kikuyu um, and some Pangola. Um, it is year round grazing, but we've got to be real careful to keep our mats there. Um, it's, um, so we, we rotationally graze. We're usually moving our animals from paddock to paddock, giving us about a 45 to 60 day rest, depending on whether it's the summer and we've got rain or if it's winter and it's too cold and the grasses aren't, aren't growing as fast. Um, and our grasses up here don't tend to need to be mowed. Um, it's more of that lower elevation okay. with the guinea grasses um, that, that you might need to mow um, occasionally to keep under control. Um, um, that being said, you know, even though we do have a year-round growing season for our grasses, our grasses aren't that high in protein. Um, they're actually pretty low. Um, unlike the mainland where we can, you guys can grow alfalfa and, and some other great grasses, um, our protein levels are much smaller. So our stocking rates, even though it's, it's gorgeous and green, sometimes cannot be as good as yours um, in a great hay field or something like that. Um, in fact, there, there isn't many people growing hay. There's a gentleman on Kauai trying to give it a go again, growing and drying. And the, the biggest problem is, you know, drying with the humidity in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we, we do a, uh, a rotational grazing system that, that works well for us and um, gives us time to really rest those paddocks in between um, the, the growing season, you know, and that's all a variable with our stocking rate. Now, Doug, you and I have some things in common. Uh, I, I serve on the, the Montana Grazing Lands Coalition, um, and I see you're on the Hawaii Grazing Lands Coalition and, and also your work with the, the Soil and Water Conservation Districts. I My mom's the administrator for our local county uh, uh, conservation district. I grew up in the conservation district convention world and, and just growing up with knowing the importance uh, of conservation and, and land stewardship and, and talking about that. Uh, can you talk about that aspect, too, of uh, your, your volunteerism, but also, you know, taking your knowledge and, and your volunteer work and implementing that maybe on your operation? Yeah, yeah. So I am the, the chair for the uh, Grazing Land Coalition here in Hawaii. Um, it's been a, a great experience um, being the chair and um, working with, um, you know, the National Coalition and um, doing some outreach with the community, which um, is really um, something that um, kind of as a rancher, you, you, you forget that people don't, don't see the things that you see the same way. Um, and so being able to go out there and talk about rotational grazing 
and, um, you know, management of pastures, um, beef production, number of pounds you can put on your animal with proper grazing. Um, and you see that the public catches on to it. It's, it's really rewarding, really rewarding. Um, for us uh, um, here in Hawaii, conservation is a, a big thing. We, we really don't have extra lands to expand onto. We have to utilize what we have. Um, land is expensive in Hawaii. Um, and so you've got to really take care of what you've got. Um, for our soil and water conservation district, we're the Hamakua Coast, which was predominant sugarcane for over 150 years. And um, in the 80s, it changed over, sugar went out, and um, a lot of different types of agricultural came in. Um, some was, was expansion of cattle ranching, other was just expansion of um, different types of farming. So um, our lands here are, are quite steep, they're not flat at all, and so we're right on the edge of the ocean. So keeping that um, soil in its place is a challenge and educating those farmers um, and ranchers to understand that um, sometimes can be a challenge because, you know, they're looking at their bottom line and um, sometimes they don't understand that with time conservation actually helps your bottom line. Um, a lot of these guys are looking too short into the future to understand that. And so some of the work we do is to kind of show the progress of, of maintaining that soil and um, showing how your bottom line can continue to grow along with your, your operation and, and the um, fast return isn't always the best return. Mm -hmm. um, so it's been, it's been good. It's been a good experience um, doing both. And um, like I said, with Grazing Land Coalition, working with the national level, we get to see a lot of different things um, that you guys do on the mainland. We're not able to do, whether it's, um, you know, um, putting up hay for those times when it's dry, um, trying to create some kind of grass bank somewhere where people can share on the pastures uh, when the time is dry. Um, so yeah, both of those have, have really helped me on a day-to-day -day basis on my operation. Um, the knowledge that I've learned um, through the coalition and with the districts um, helps me really try to sit back and, and take a look at what I'm doing and how I can better utilize my property, um, whether it's, um, you know, uh, grazing it, maybe doing a little bit of um, forestry to hold back some soil, um, you know, uh, silver pasture or something like that. Those are all um, great practices that I've been able to, you know, um, utilize on my operation and see the benefit. Um, my my wife, who also is a, a partner in the ranch, she um, works for USDA and is actually a certified grain specialist. So she brings a lot to the table um, on a day-to-day -day basis with the ranch as well. Um, and outreach. So now I, I remember uh, a few years ago when when Dale Sandlin was with the Hawaii Cattlemen's Council, uh, we were discussing the endangered species and threatened species and how that impacts uh, producers on the islands here in the west in in montana uh, producers think about the the grizzly bear or the greater sage grouse or certain frogs or or just uh, that, that's where we get locked into when we think about endangered or threatened species but uh, hawaii i mean there, there's there's plants there's different animals uh could you maybe paint how maybe the Endangered Species Act or threatened uh, uh, species, how that impacts maybe not your operation, but maybe uh, producers you know. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, here in Hawaii, being so isolated, um, everything that was here before the um, Hawaiians arrived on their canoes um, pretty much started to get endangered. Um, and so we have hundreds of endangered species, whether it's plants, um, birds, um, you know, um, some mammals. Um, that, that makes it a challenge, um, whether you're a small operation or a large operation. I think for the larger operations, who've expanded and, and have a lot of acreage, um, they may touch into areas that um, have endangered bird species that now um, makes it difficult for them to graze those areas. Um, and I think the other challenges with that too, um, on the smaller ones, is, is some of the counts and some of the numbers. Um, for instance, our, our Hawaii hori bat, we have a, a native bat here, um, really hasn't been counted well to understand its population, but yet it's on, it's on there. And so um, if you're ranching and uh, getting assistance, say with NRCS or any part of USDA, it's on their list of endangered species. So you're limited on how much barbed wire you can have on a fence, um, linear feet, and or um, even if you're doing a hog wire fence, they may not... Um, be willing to help you put barbed on that top to protect that fence from the cattle. So I think there's, you know, a bit of disparity on that part for, for ranchers where that piece of barbed wire can help prevent your cows from getting out or getting into the forest reserve or, or vice versa, you know, your neighbor's cows getting in. Um, when we really haven't understood the, the bat itself. Um, so those challenges um, definitely affect affect everybody throughout the state. I think living to, to work with them and, and part of them, uh, we have a native goose here called a nene goose, and um, it's endangered. Um, they're repopulating um, throughout the state, but um, they enjoy grasslands because they're geese, and they like to eat and forage in the grass and, and swim in our reservoirs. So that's a kind of a good balance where as grazers, um, good grazers, we can manage our lands to, to help benefit that endangered species and have a good relationship with them. Um, so I think there's a combination of two of how we can balance our operations with the native species to still be productive and then also um, create productive lands for those endangered species. The native Hawaiian hawk um, likes to hunt rodents and, and things and it likes an open space as well to hunt so we're seeing a lot of thriving hawks coming back and i think it's being taken off the list here shortly if not already so um we've had some some wins with it as well um between the two but it is definitely a challenge and i think maybe more so for hawaii because we are so isolated and uh, like i said before anything that was here before the hawaiians got here uh, once people arrived, they slowly started to dwindle away and um, and become endangered over time. Obviously, that just uh, really opens my eyes to the issues that uh, you as producers face and, and just all the challenges that uh, producers across the nation face. And, uh, you know, that that's why producers are a part of associations and advocacy and, and partake in conservation, just to make sure that we can continue uh, uh, raising livestock and, and making a livelihood off of the land and improving that land. And I, I'm really curious, Doug, uh, when, when, when we look at maybe uh, the just raising cattle, finishing cattle, marketing cattle uh, on the islands. Uh, 
and I know you mentioned that you mainly uh, uh, deal with the with the genetic aspect of it, but you know there there's a lot of grass finishing opportunities, obviously in Hawaii. Not a lot of corn or soybeans like we see in the Midwest. What what are some of the the marketing strategies, and and how does tourism play into how livestock, uh, cattle in particular, are raised, and uh, and how they are taken from pasture to plate? Uh, can can you share more on that? Hawaii is, is um, really moving forward um, to become more self-sufficient. And part of that is high-quality protein cattle. And so the grass-finished um, industry has, has really been building on itself over the last, I'd say, at least 10 years. Um, we've made a lot of strides forward, um, creating some good quality product um, to get it out in the restaurants, farm to table, um, into the hotels, um, letting the um, tourist industry know that we're here and that we've got great product. Um, and so I think some of the challenges we see in that grass-finished industry is in the build-out is, um, one, obviously processing, having the capability to process on island. Uh, the Big Island currently, our island here has two slaughter facilities, and um, they struggle to keep up. So for a small producer like myself, um, which I do have a steer I just put in the freezer, um, normally I have to make a booking six months in advance um, and know, you know, that's my date when I can take my one or two animals in. And the challenges are there also for a few larger ranches. Um, so it makes it difficult to to feed that industry um, when we have that, that bottleneck. Um, it's something that Hawaii... Uh, Cattlemen's Council and, and Hawaii Cattlemen's Association are, and all the other associations on the islands are working on to um, produce more um, harvest facilities to get these animals through and get the product out there um, to the customers. Um, I think as a producer and knowing a lot of the other producers around me, we still have a, a, a fair number of um, producers who are cow-calf operations um, because um, they look at, at that operation as maybe being a little bit more profitable. They're able to um, produce a calf and get it off the island within six months and get another calf on the ground going uh, while trying to finish out a, a uh, steer here in Hawaii. Uh, you know, it's 24 to 32 months. And like I mentioned before, our grasses aren't really high in protein, so it can be a challenge to get that weight on sooner than that and get them out the, out the door. So I think, um, the industry will, will grow better once we, we can um, pay the ranchers better for their animals um, at, the, at the date of slaughter. And that, that is increasing, but it, it is another challenge, you know, to, to have that increase and offset it with, you know, the cost of doing business in Hawaii, whether it's power, um, water, um, everything in Hawaii is, is more expensive. Um, everything is brought in. So um, I see the industry growing, um, and I hope 10 years from now it'll, it'll be double of what it is. I think our, our current governor wanted to see our increase in uh, production in Hawaii um, for all ag products double in, in like the last three to four years, but we're not even close to reaching that yet. And um, so, and I, I don't know what the, challenges on the mainland with, with the finishing. I know you guys got the corn and all that. Um, I think um, sometimes it's a lot quicker, um, but then you've got the cost of that, that corn and, and feed to put into that animal. So. 
and I'm curious, you mentioned for the, the cow-calf producers uh, that market calves, obviously. Um, uh, where where exactly do a majority of those calves get shipped to? Literally, where, where, where do they, they get shipped, obviously, to the mainland here and finished on the West Coast? Uh, uh, what, what does that look like? Yeah. Yeah, so um, a lot of the large producers, um, large ranches will retain ownership and ship their cattle back to the mainland, finish them off and, and sell them off to the feedlots themselves. For smaller producers, um, which which make up a majority of, of the ranches here, um, they are selling to different buyers. There's usually four to five buyers in the state buying calves. Um, they buy them at about 400 pounds, and it's a formula to fit them into shipping containers um, and how many you can fit at that 400-pound weight. And so there's always a slide if you're you're above that. I think right now steers are about a dollar and heifers are about 85 cents, 90 cents a pound. Um, a lot of those calves um, get shipped out, out of here to either Oakland, um, up to Washington, um, they make it as far as, as Texas to the feedlots in Texas. I have my, I every once in a while sell stock that, um, I don't feel is good enough for breeding stock, um, to one of our cattle buyers. And, um, they always say they, they really like Hawaii cattle, but they grow well on the mainland. They grow well in the feedlots. Um, some of that they may attribute to, you know, the sturdiness of our cattle's having to, um, survive the, the trip across the ocean and um and how it you know they come out on the other side ready to grow and eat um interesting enough um there is um, some of the large cattle producers and even more so with covid going on um, fly a lot of their cattle out of hawaii and into la and then they they hit the feedlots and they hit the um grass yards and, and get um, filled out um covid has increased that flying ability um, since we were pretty much shut down with um, getting our stock tenders on the um, shipping boats to to tend to our cattle across the ocean. So we had a good few months where where no cattle were leaving and the only way to get your cattle off was to fly them out of the state. So um, yeah, yeah. So it's it's interesting. I just picked up a new horse from Texas a week and a half ago and she, she flew in on the plane that the cattle were flying out on that day. So, <laughs> oh, that just that that literally just blows my mind. Uh, you, you don't think about that up here. We 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 think about our, our issues we have with uh, with making sure that we can get our, our livestock uh, rigs uh, d- down to the Midwest from Montana, making sure that uh, uh, truckers have enough uh, legal time to do that. And and now we're talking about flying cattle out. And you know, I'm just ignorant to all this. And that's I, I'm learning just as much as our listeners are right now. And that's. I, 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 and that's, that's the purpose for this podcast. I, I, God, I, I just think that is amazing. And, you know, uh, you, you mentioned your red Angus genetics, uh, what, uh, obviously it's, 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 it's tropical climate. You're wanting uh, cattle that, that can fit, uh, fit that, uh, that, that growing environment. But, uh, let's just talk about your red Angus cattle, uh, the genetics behind it and, uh, what, what you hope to provide your fellow producers, uh, w- with those genetics. Yeah. My wife and I, um, went into the red Angus genetics um, probably about 20 years ago. Um, part of that, we just kind of, uh, whatever cattle we could pick up, you know, we had some Brangus for a while um, and other, you know, 
whatever we could get as a small producer, which becomes difficult when you're buying in lots of, you know, three to four. And also one thing that we don't have that I was always impressed anywhere when I went to the mainland was uh, there are no sale barns in the state of Hawaii. So we're, we're trading amongst ourselves. There's no central place that we can go to buy cattle or sell cattle. Um, so um, finding that, that herd um, can take some time. And um, we were lucky enough to buy some uh, purebred Red Angus um, cattle from a fellow rancher here, a larger rancher who brought these genetics in in hopes to, to help um, facilitate um, more Angus um, genetics in Hawaii. And so we picked up our first group of heifers, um, I think about 10 or 12, and um, we've grown the herd. You know, we, we range anywhere from... 30 to 40 mother cows, just depending on our grass situation. Um, and then what we're really looking for is um, real calm, docile cattle that can be used uh, for breeding. Um, they come to you and um, easily moved by the time they leave my rotation system as a calf. They understand the movement. They understand where to go. Um, and that's, that's really what we're trying to sell. We're trying to sell, um, you know, bulls that they can be put out and um, seasonally bred and, and brought back in and, and moved easily. Um, we kind of on a on a mountain, so we're looking for some stout, um, sometimes a little shorter animals to deal with the hills um, and the the terrain that we're on. Um, and then, as far as the the heifers that we're looking for. Uh, depending on what our buyer is looking for, um, we'll work with them maybe the year before. Um, we have a couple of buyers who will let us know the year before, whether it's bulls or, or heifers, what they're looking for, where they're at, what their operation's like. And then we work hand-in-hand with them uh, on selecting animals and um, getting them genetically tested and, and seeing where they fall um, in the test. And I you know the first time we did the, the testing, as prior to that, it was always, you know, really by eye and and, and looking at what your animal looks like out there moving. Um, but yeah, it's always a fun day to go out there and get the test back on the animals that you thought were great. And sometimes they're home runs and sometimes they're complete duds. And you're like, yeah, never, that's, that's, that's not good. <laughs> we're not going to sell them for breeding. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, a it's interesting that we have that at our disposal. Um, and how we can utilize that to hopefully better everybody's herd around us. So. For yourself and for your fellow producers, what what do the uh, the the calving uh, cycles look like? <laughs> Obviously, um, you know mo- most people up in my region are, are spring to early summer calvers, and you have a few folks that do fall calving. Uh, what what does the breeding cycle and and calving season look like year round uh, on the Big Island? Yeah, we've got we've got um, you know, depending on the on the rancher once again, you know, um, they'll um, either try to hedge the market and breed off of what the mainland is, so they can come in when when the markets are low there. Um, we also have other operations who are a little bit more old school, where they never take the bull out; they're breeding year round, um, which then you know is kind of a hit and miss. Um, the one thing I, I hear a lot from the cow calf operations is um, they try to time their sale of their cattle, um, of their calves, not during the winter months because shipping becomes very difficult um, when the, the storms are out there and the weather's bad. So I think everyone here in Hawaii can just kind of you know, play what's best for them and what's best for their pocketbook 
on where they want want the breeding to go. That that makes sense. They, we have mm-hmm. a lot more flexibility, I guess here. Mm-hmm. How about the availability of veterinarians? That that's an issue that that we face across across the nation. Uh, uh, do you have a steady supply? If I was a veterinarian, I'd I'd probably want to be in Hawaii uh, to tell you that myself. But are are veterinarians uh, a ready supply over there? It comes and goes. I think, you know, as any veterinarian now, um, it's really hard to find those large animal vets. We're lucky here on Hawaii Island, the big island, because we have uh, several really large ranches that help support the veterinarians to, to be able to just focus on that. And, um, and um, so we do have here on the big island several really great vets, um, ranch vets who will come out and, and, and give us a hand and, and help us out. I think on some of the other islands, it becomes a little more difficult, um, like Oahu, where it's more um, urban. And um, so you, it's, it's harder to find that vet who can afford to be in that business and not just be the puppy and kitty vet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and talking to one of the old-time vets, uh, grew up with my dad, um, he um, is really surprised um, because obviously he's, he's retiring and he's got some younger vets working for him. And um, he says it's very difficult to find someone who wants to be a large animal vet um, anymore, you, you know, even in searches throughout, throughout the United States. Um, I think some of the lucky parts is, is um, just what you said earlier. If I was a vet, I'd like to be in Hawaii. So um, we have had the luck of, uh, of a few good breeding vets Um moving to Hawaii to be in Hawaii since they were based out of Hawaii, even though they travel the world to, to breed. But then we, we reap the benefit when they're home to, to have that opportunity to work with a, you know, a real high quality vet um, with that type of experience. Um, so, yeah, it, it, I think for the big Island, I think we're, we're better off. Maui is, is pretty good, but I think it can be a challenge on some of the smaller islands. Um, gee, Molokai is a small Island that, um, it really struggles with, with that because they're so isolated um, and there isn't enough business to keep a vet on island. So they're, they're flying a man for these large animal vets. So. You know, obviously uh, just uh, making sure that there's opportunities for that next generation to come in uh, to an operation, you know, pr- preserving that land, uh, conserving it, being a stewardship uh, steward of the land is so important. But when we look at uh, the opportunity for young, beginning, or first-time farmers, what, what, what's it like on the islands for, obviously, the, the biggest commodity that uh, obviously plays a huge factor in agriculture is land, and that's a commodity that uh, you, you just can't create. What is your feeling when, when you talk with young and up-and-coming producers that want to get a start, start their operation you know, away from their parents or expand it? Are, are you able to see that on the islands, uh, and particularly maybe on the big island, where young producers are coming in and, and able to get a start like you did uh, a few years back? Yeah, um, we, we definitely see that. Um, the younger generation really wanting to, to make their own um, way. Um, I think the, the huge challenge for, for all of them um, is just the price of land. So um, good quality pasture land um you know so for example 40 acres up where i am in in kukuyu country and um they sell for about 300 to 400,000 so it's about $10,000 an acre which makes it very difficult to to find some large acreage 
So a lot of these these younger guys um, starting out are having to look for lease land, and um, and that that's a challenge in itself here as well. Um, a lot of the state leases, um, you know, they're long term and held in families for for quite some time. Um, when they do come up um, for auction, um, you know, that next generation um, sometimes doesn't get a chance to to um, to bid on it. So um, they're looking at smaller ones, um, uh, smaller operations, smaller land leases, you know, five acres, 10 acres, 20 acres here and there um, to make up their operation. Um, and then the other challenge too is, is building their herd, um, finding that stock um, and, and being able to build it out. But the number one um, is just the cost of, of land in Hawaii. Uh, we don't have any public lands. We have state lease lands, and then there's a couple other large landholders um, in Hawaii um, that will will lease out to to cattle ranchers as well. Um, so it's it's a definite limitation on on the younger people to grow out their own operation and and start anew. Um, and um, we've done some work trying to um, work with our local state governments to. Um, release some of these bands that are leased um, out. Um, they're they're um, not with Department of Agriculture, but with um, uh, Department of Land and Natural Resources, which um, sometimes uh, wants to, most a lot of times, will take that acreage when it's up and put it into a different type of agricultural use, maybe forestry or something, out of the, um, out of the cattle industry. So we cattle um, industry has been working for years on getting some of those leases transferred over to Department of Ag, who, who really looks at those lands as agricultural lands. Um, and that, you know, once I think that starts changing, that mindset changes, hopefully these these um, younger producers can find their way and, um, and get their own piece and, and grow. You know, I think I've always encouraged the younger generation to be active and involved, even if they're small. Even if you own one cow or you're just interested in the industry, to join an association, whether it's here on the Big Island, Maui, Hawaii, any one of the associations, um, because there you'll, you'll, you'll learn a lot, but you'll be part of a group that's all fighting for the same thing. And um, all our voices need to be here, here heard, sorry, whether you're big or small. And um, so I think that's, that's another thing that I always encourage them. And a couple of the ones who have, um, they've, they've been able to make relationships and, and find those little pieces of land through joining associations and, and building their operation that way. So. And Doug, could you maybe expand upon how the associations uh, work on all the islands? Because I, I, I see that you are president of the Hawaii Cattlemen's Association, but, uh, uh, the, uh, but all the associations kind of come together to form the council. Is that correct? That is correct. So each island has its own association, um, Oahu, Kauai, Maui, um, Molokai, we're working on getting them back together. Um, you know, they, they had a large ranching operation at one time, Molokai Ranch, but um, it shut down um, boy, probably 20 years ago. Um, and then um, there's a big island one, Hawaii Cattlemen's Association. We all come together um, and form the Hawaii Cattlemen's Council. So each one of our um, island presidents and um, certain board members sit on the council and the council works together for the whole state on um, bringing the issues to the forefront, 
working with the state and regulators on, on issues we may have, um, working with shipping companies to um, hopefully get better rates and work with um, livestock handling at the ports um, down to the different slaughterhouses. And everyone's come together as a one big team, which has really helped um, our industry grow and expand um, and, and stay safe, right? Because we're all working with each other and learning from each other. So um, I think it's a it's a really good association and the way in which every island works together um, benefits benefits everyone here in the state. Definitely, definitely some great collaboration to hear about. And and also, Doug, I, I want to give a shout out to your 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 scuba center. Um, you're probably the, the only oh. rancher that I know that uh, scuba dives, but uh, let's talk about that and, and how that's an aspect uh, of, of, of your many businesses and just uh, staying, you know, keep, keeping a salary, keeping a roof over your head. Uh, yeah, you're, you're the first uh, cowboy scuba diver, I guess, I've, I've ever talked to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, been an instructor 29 years, I think now. Um, used to have a shop in, in Hilo, ran it for about 19 years. Um, uh, pretty much it was a, it was a tranquil time, um, you know, underwater most of the day. I think I spent probably four hours a day underwater, which was good. Um, and, um, definitely was a fun, fun job, but, you know, as time got on and, and, um, the industry's changed, um, I've kind of moved away. I, I dive, um, Every once in a while, I'll, I'll do some certifications. Uh, I think the last uh, group I did was a bunch of uh, guys from the NRCS office and, and um, our last grazing specialist that we had here who's back in Texas. Um, and he's now took it to the next level where he's um, doing rescue dives during the jet boat races and things like that. Um, but, yeah, that was a, a good part of my life for about 19 years. And um, as we moved up the coast, um and got into to more of a ranching area. You know, I'll still dive uh, a few times a month, but not, not like I used to. And um, moved into real estate. Um, been doing that for just about 18 years now. And, um, and that's, that's, I kind of do that, uh, do a little diving now and then, and um, do some agricultural consulting um, anywhere from, setting up orchards or, or farms. I even became an organic farmer, which shocked me. I uh, never thought I'd do that. <laughs> Definitely know why organic produce is so expensive. Um, it's labor and uh, material cost. <laughs> and um, definitely learned learned a lot on that venture. Um, but in Hawaii, you know, um, cost of living is high. And I always tell this to um, couples moving here from the mainland. Um, they'll say, hey, look, you know, I'm a nurse or I'm, you know, uh, I'm in retail, da, 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 da. I'm moving to Hawaii. I always ask, okay, so what else can you do? Uh, you may want to find two jobs so you can afford to be here. So, um, and a lot of times I'll, I'll run into them later and they'll say, yeah, I'm working in retail, but on the weekends I'm working as landscaping, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and we always joke that that's the price of paradise. Um, it's what you got to pay to to be able to afford to stay here and live here. Yep. So, 
Well, you mentioned how tranquil, I, I, and again, I've never uh, scuba dived or anything like that, but uh, you, you mentioned how tranquil it is under the water. And I'm sure there's some times when you're working cows where you would rather maybe be scuba diving and away from those cows because you never know how ca- working cows is going to go. <laughs> but uh, I, I, Yeah, well, everyone used to ask me, well, what about the sharks? Were you afraid of them? And I'm like, I'm more afraid of actually a mother cow getting between her and her calf than a shark. So... <laughs> Well, there you have it. Maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll, I'll I'll take up diving on, on one of my vacations because I'm always scared one of those sharks might get me. But now, when you when you think about that, when you're tagging calves in the springtime here, yeah, that that mama cow could be more dangerous than a shark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, well, Doug, I, I want to thank you for for just taking time out of your morning to to talk with us about uh, a little more about your operation and just livestock production on the Big Island. Is there any advice that you have for producers, young and old, on just anything in general when it comes to being involved in production agriculture? Just some words of wisdom for us here today. You know, um, I think early on in my life, I I saw the importance of agriculture. My family really moved to Hawaii generations ago. Um, Surprisingly enough, um, my mom's family, which has been here the longest, didn't move here for agriculture. They were actually furniture makers. Um, but on my dad's side, you know, they, my grandfather was brought in and, and hired to uh, be an engineer at a sugar mill. He um, brought in my grandmother about 10 years later, and they, they lived the um, lifestyle of a plantation and moved all over the state working in the in the agricultural industry. Um, but early on, I saw that importance um, not only to help feed everyone uh, around you and within the state, but in Hawaii as well to keep that green space open. Um, for um, what used to be our major industry, um, tourism. And I said used to be because we'll see how we all come out of this at the end of COVID. Um, our unemployment is the highest in the nation because of tourism. Um, but there's a lot of push now for agriculture um, and the push to expand on it. Um, so, you know, talking to whether it's a young or old um, ag producer, I think we all just support every part of agriculture, um, whether it's cattle ranching, produce farming, um, you know, orchards, whatever it is, I think all of us work together as a team um, because it's just, it's, um, it's interesting to see that the general public um, sometimes feels so negative about what we do in any part of agriculture. And um, that's why being um, part of an association, being part of a team, going out, educating people on what you do and how it affects them. Um, I think the, the one thing I tell even the general public is, you know, everybody is part of agriculture. Whether you grow something or not, um, everyone needs to eat. So they're just part of the end product of agriculture. And I think more and more people have to understand that so that we can continue to um, feed our country and, and feed the world like we have been. Um, I think the negative um, information that goes out there about agriculture um, needs to be um, sometimes um, corrected or um, have some more educational outlets for ag producers to to get to the public. Um, Like I said earlier, that work with Grazing Land Coalition or the Soil and Water Conservation Districts gives me an opportunity to do that. Um, but I really encourage more and more producers to, to get out there, talk to their neighbors, talk to the, 
the people you meet in the supermarket, wherever it is, and, and let them know what you do. Um, because it is so, so important to all of our lives. Um, and uh, really is the one industry that, that is across the board affects everyone in the world. So, Doug, very, very well said. Some great advice for, for all of our listeners here today. Again, Doug Beaton joining us from the big island of Hawaii here this morning, or this afternoon for me, this morning for you. Uh, again, I just appreciate you. <laughs> I just appreciate you taking the time to, to share more insight on, on uh, production agriculture on the islands, and, and I know our audience uh, so much will enjoy this. My last question, I, 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 I had some listeners reach out saying, you're not asking what, what, what the cattleman's call is for, for some of your listeners. So what I mean by that is when you're calling your cows, caking your cows or whatever, what, what is your cow, what's your call? Uh, to your to your to your cattle to bring them in come 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 cowgirls come and they come running <laughs> <laughs> well there you have it friends doug beaton from the big island of hawaii he is the president of the big island of hawaii's cattlemen's association and a member of the hawaii cattlemen's council i, I appreciate your conversation and uh, i hope uh, to maybe see you in person at, at one of these events whether it's the cattle industry convention or or maybe our uh, grazing lands uh, meeting coming up in myrtle beach in 2021 yeah, I might see you there. I was the one at um, Dallas Fort Worth. That was a great conference with GLC. Um, learned a lot. Met a lot of the group out of out of Montana as well when I was there. Yeah, they they t- um, they tend great to meetings. they tend to have a little bit of fun. I, I went to the Reno meeting last time around. So, <laughs> well, Doug. <laughs> the- yeah. Well, well, thank you, Lane. You bet. Hey, thank you so much. And to our friends listening, thank you for joining us here on the Cattleman's Call. If you have not subscribed, make sure and do so. If you have ideas of, of uh, conversations you'd like to hear or topics you would, if, even if you want to be a guest on the show, send us a note. Visit us at ncba.org and click on the Cattleman's Call tab. Friends, that will do it for this edition. Have a great day. I'm Lane Northland. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with Lane Nordland. For more information, visit ncba.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.